Ministry Mentorship, Episode 15. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministries. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Metro missionary Jerry Staten. Brother Staten is a person who is deeply passionate about reaching lost people with the gospel. And in this recording, you will hear his testimony of how God brought salvation into his life transformed him and led him into the ministry of evangelism and pastoring. And I just pray that you'll be challenged and your faith will be elevated during this interview. Let's join the conversation now. We're here today with Brother Staten, and he is a a Metro missionary in Washington, D.C., and he's just a, a, a great minister, has a great heart for the lost, and we're so honored to have you. Thank you for being with us here today, Brother Staten. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, tell us your story. Tell us how you got started uh, in ministry and even your background or just anything that, that you'd like to share with us. Okay. I think, uh, you know, as, you, as life progresses and you look back, you see how it's like a great tapestry and there's probably nothing... Uh, in life that I haven't, you know, that I haven't gone through that had something to do with preparing me for where I am today. And um, so as a a young child, my father actually pastored. And then um, as um, in in my very early years, my father had uh, some really bad things happen and he left ministry, my parents were going to divorce, and that was uh, at a time in our nation when divorce was just not, it was just not an acceptable thing. And so my mother, there were uh, five of us children, and my mother refused to give them a divorce, and so they worked out an agreement where my father Though he was very wounded over some accusations, he, um, as a result, he didn't go to church for most of my life, and um, fell away. Um, my mother was undoubtedly the number one catalyst in my life for the future, the spiritual future to come. We lived in Indianapolis. Actually, my father had been a very successful uh, pastor, and and so mom, they received the Holy Ghost in the 1940s in a storefront church pastored by Brother Art Hedges, and on a, at a Saturday night prayer meeting. And my mother, I know that because she repeated that was her testimony over and over in my life. Well, by the time I was in my young teens, my I have uh, kind of had the option uh, to go to church or not go to church because my father didn't go. Life just got really messed up. I made a lot of bad choices. 
my mother went to uh, Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis. In those days, she didn't drive, and so she would get all of us kids on a city bus and take us downtown to church, uh, and then back on the city bus to take us home. And so, well, by the time I was uh, 11 or 12, I began to miss. There were great people in my life that tried to help me, uh, Brother J. Heroes, uh, Brother Urshan. But um, I, I guess, you know, the spiritual wounds from my father, he, even though he would never speak ill uh, concerning pastors or what was done to him, and um, ultimately, though it would be that I could make my own choice about going to church. And so by the time I was in my young teens, I was already involved in a lot of the uh, downward slide, the, the addictions of the world that became so dominant in my life. Uh, um, by the time I was 18, the Vietnam War was going. People were being drafted and... Uh, it was, I graduated from high school in 68 and was given a draft number. And by uh, January of 1969, I was in boot camp, spent four years in the military. I did two tours of Vietnam. This is where, I mean, there were details in all of those things that brought me to the place. Uh, undoubtedly, the prayers of my mother, my brothers and sisters, you know, really felt like my life was uh, kind of a... I mean, they, they loved me, but they didn't see a lot of future for me because I certainly was in bad shape. Just six months before I came home from my last tour, I was sitting in a bar, and uh, I don't... You know, I know... I know it was real for me. Jesus just walked into that bar and spoke to me. Told me it was my it was my time. And undoubtedly the prayers of many people, specifically the prayers of my mother, about six months prior to that I had met a young lady who was a a good Baptist girl who had just she and a Baptist friend had begun to study about this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, she actually had received the, the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, um, which ultimately then cost her. They wouldn't let her teach Sunday school in a Baptist church. She was, she was a youth leader, and she was put out of a youth department. And... Uh, and so I know she prayed, and she would send me letters, which was surprising to me. I mean, I, I didn't really know a lot of, in, in three and a half years' time, I had distanced myself from what I would say Christian relationships with people, really more, I think, running, trying to hide from it. But she would send me letters. And um, I think this was some of this is foundational because she would 
in her letter, at the end of the letter, she would put a verse of scripture, uh, a, a uh, reference. And I had a Bible. It was, I'd had it when I went to the service. My sister, my older sister, gave me the Bible. It was still in the box. I never took it out, never read it. But when this girl sent me these letters, I thought that there must be some hidden message in there that she was trying to tell me she loved me. And so I would get that Bible out and look up the reference. And it was now I, I, I understand, but then I didn't. It was references from what is referred to as the Roman road where Romans, uh, you know, 3.23 and 5.8-10 and 6.23, where, uh, you know, when I, when I looked it up, when I had to look in the table of contents and then find that verse in the Bible, it said, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And I just, it didn't make any sense to me, but what I now know, looking back, the power of the Word began to work in me and bring me to repentance. It was every so often, you know, that was before the days of text messaging or email. And uh, so the letters would come, oh, a few at a time. And uh, I would read uh, the letter and then look up the verse of scripture and, and then after about three months of this happening, unbeknownst to really anybody, was the experience where Jesus walked into that bar. And I ran back to the base. My job was building bombs. And I locked myself into a bomb storage area and um, just got on my knees. And the Spirit of God began to talk to me about all of my sins. And I began to confess my sins. I didn't know I didn't know there was a generic repentance prayer. And uh, the Spirit brought to me probably every detail of every sin I had committed in my life and I just began to ask forgiveness one after another until somewhere in the middle of that night it was like the more I confessed, the lighter I felt. And uh, somewhere in the middle of that experience, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and and just spoke in tongues for hours until the morning. And when I came out of that place, I was... Uh, it was an incredible uh, time in my life. I was a changed person. The desire for the drugs was gone. The desire for the alcohol. And I know maybe to some this is a small thing, but I had such a filthy mouth. And when I walked out of that, that room, my, my speech had changed. Wow. I... I Literally, I can remember that first day was like uh, it was like walking above the earth. It was incredible, and I would marvel as 
I would talk with someone and never say one curse word, which was even people around me couldn't hardly stand to be around me. My language was so filthy. But that day was the first day in many years that I had not used a, a curse word. And, and I knew that my heart had changed. It was uh, just incredible. Well, right from the very first day, I knew, I knew that it was, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a pastor. I didn't have a church. It was just me and Jesus. And in my Bible letters, there were some uh, tapes, actually, back in those days, that uh, Arlie Enos, who was the missionary to the military people, had sent me some tapes of uh, church services. And at that point, I began to listen to those and would just, you know, there were a few and I had listened to those. And on that first day, I think my life was defined. I, uh, all I knew, Jesus had walked in and he spoke to me and I became totally attuned to his voice that he could direct me where to go and who to talk to, how to pray. And so that particular day, you know, I've had the baptism of the Holy Ghost less than uh, 12 hours. And I'm walking across the military base, and I see a sign that says, uh, a prayer meeting at, uh, oh, I think it was like 6.30. And uh, I just knew that was for me, it was going to be a prayer meeting. I was like amazed because everything, everything else had a purpose in my life. And, um, so I, I made it a point. Actually, I got there early. Nobody was there. The door was unlocked. I went in and I knelt at the front row and began to pray and was immediately back in the spirit. Just, um, uh, speaking in tongues, uh, the whole presence of God was so powerful. And, and I don't know, probably an hour and a half later, I came to, and I looked up and the, the room was filled with men. And they were looking at me. And finally, one of them said to me, you were, you were speaking in tongues, weren't you? See, I didn't know. I thought, I didn't know that there were different denominations and different religions, and I didn't know. I didn't know there was a three or a one, and I just figured if if Jesus saved me, He saved everybody else the same way He saved me. And so they said, "You." When they asked me, "Were you speaking of tongues?" I said, "I guess I, I guess I was." And then one of them said to me, "Well, some of us here." We have been praying for this experience. They said, can you do what it says in the Bible? Uh, I said, well, I guess I can. I've received the Spirit. What it, and I had asked them, what's it saying? And they opened up the Bible. 
now that I know, you know, looking back to Acts 19, and they showed me where Paul laid hands on people and they received the Spirit. They said, can you do that? And I said, yeah, I think I can do that. And they said, well, what do we do? I said, well, you know what, I'll have to ask Jesus. And I just prayed, and, and Jesus spoke to me and just said, tell everyone that they want this experience to come up to the front. So I said, Jesus said, you know, come up here if you want it. And about 12 of those men came to the front. And then uh, they said, what do we do? And I said, well, all I know was, like, I had to, I had to confess my sins to Jesus. And again, I, I didn't know there was that generic thing. So these 12 guys are standing there. There's no feeling. There's no music. There's no no altar workers. There's just me and these 12 soldiers. And uh, they got their hands lifted and uh, a little bit, you know, some of them, and they, they all confessing their sins. You know, of course, it was different. Some was not real long, and others was, you know, more in detail and longer. To finally, the last one, you know, and, and then I said, well, let me ask Jesus what we do. And Jesus said, well, ask him. Just tell them that they need to begin to lift their hands and thank me. Give thanks for forgiveness of sins. And that you are going to walk in front of them and pray. And when I touch you, you will feel me. And when I touch you, you will touch them. And they will receive the Spirit. And so um, they kind of all, and again, there's no flow. It's just very dry, but it's very mechanical. But they're doing that. And so then I walk down in front of them and just... Um, just a few minutes' time, the uh, same spirit that I had felt earlier touched me, and I touched the first one. He received the spirit, the second one. So all 12 of them received the baptism of the spirit. I didn't know that that was rare. I thought that's the way it was supposed to be. I thought, yeah, this is what my mission in life is, to to take this Jesus everywhere. And uh, so that day, if I'm right now, I will tell you, and this is, you know, again, part of my story, I I had become addicted to tobacco. I mean, though the cussing was gone, and the, I, I had no desire for the alcohol anymore, and I had, I had been in kind of rehab for alcoholism and drug addiction. And in when I received the Holy Ghost, those things were gone. But the tobacco, that was like not so easy. And I, I didn't know why. Matter of fact, I just told Jesus, Jesus, unless you unless you do something, I I just want this. My body craves this. And um and so um, I can remember, like, uh, it was a short while, and one day I was reading, I was in a room by myself, and I had my Bible out, and I was reading 
John chapter 1. And I read down through verse 14, and all of a sudden, it just like the light came on, and I realized Jesus was God. And I cried, and I shouted, wow, Jesus is God. No wonder he could do all this stuff. He's God. And when I finished, I said, man, that is so good. i got to have a cigarette. So it was a period of about two months that God began to deal with me about, I know I understand now, he gave me a verse of scripture and it said, my word will not return void. And I took everything in the Bible so literal. So I wrote this girl that we had been communicating and I said, take all the money that we have been saving because I now had asked, asked her to marry me and we were saving money. And I said, I want you to take all that money and go buy Bibles. I read this person. It said his word won't return void. So she sent me cases of Bibles and I would just hand out Bibles to soldiers, to servicemen. I just, so I had incredible experiences. Men break down weeping, people fall on their knees, holding the Bible. It was incredible. So, um, after about two months, and and the tobacco thing was happening, you know, less and less. So I had one cigarette and um, and a pack of matches, and I went alone by myself, and I said, Jesus. You know, I don't think this smoking thing is a good thing. I don't know. I, I don't know that, you know, if I tell people about you and then they see me smoking a cigarette, I don't think it's effective. So I need you, Jesus. I need you to help me. I need you to change my desire, take away that want to. And I, I said, but I, I'm going to smoke the cigarette unless you do something. And I put it in my mouth and I went to light it and that same voice spoke to me and said, you don't, you don't need those anymore. And that's been uh, now 40 years. And uh, maybe of all and, and every step of this has been an incredible, obviously to me, an incredible story of how he transformed my life. So that next my last six months was was spent literally more about praying for people everywhere I went. I prayed for people, giving Bibles away, and developing. A, you know, I I guess it was this this thing alone with Jesus because I didn't have a church. I didn't have people encouraging me. I didn't have, you know, it was just me and Jesus. And every day, I would sometimes fast for two or three weeks because I read in the Bible that some of these only come out by prayer and fasting. So it was, uh, that, that was the beginning of my story. When I arrived back home, I I remember my, the 
departure from Vietnam, I flew off in that helicopter and was so amazed that the last six months had gone by so fast. And, uh, and when I arrived in, you know, San Francisco, the whole world, all of America had changed. You know, people were demonstrating and cursing at us and spitting on us. And, but I, I didn't notice any of that. I was like, just so thankful to be alive and be home and had this, this Jesus in my life. It was like a, I was a whole new person. Now I still had, like there were effects of my, like sometimes, even today I know, I know I'm different. I know some of my speech was affected by probably some of my bad habits. Uh, probably didn't have the best memory. And, um, but, but the one thing I had was a testimony and what Jesus could do. And, uh, and so when I landed in San Francisco, I knew, uh, I was walking down this, the aisle of the airport and that same voice of Jesus that I'd gotten so used to direct in my life, telling me who to talk to, telling me who to pray for. All of a sudden, he spoke to me, and he said, you see those three men over there? You go over there to those three men, and they're going to tell you what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Well, I'd just gotten so used to trusting that voice that I just walked over to him, and I'm sure they thought I was some no freak. I looked at them and I said, praise God, brothers. They turned and looked at me and they were, you know, all dressed in, you know, suits, eyes, and uh, professional men. And they looked at me and said, you know, asked me who I was and I told them. And then I said, well, I was just walking up here. And I don't know who you are, but Jesus told me you're going to tell me what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And uh, they said, one of them spoke, spoke up and said, okay, well, we're teachers at a Bible college. And they gave me a card and said, if, you know, if you're serious, you, you call this school and uh, classes resume the 1st of January. Well, that was December 13th was when I arrived back in the States. And I said, okay, I'll be there. Because that's what Jesus told me I was going to do. Well, those three, they were three United Pentecostal Church preachers. Uh, Ian Rigdon, uh, Ron Lovins, and Mickey Douglas. And they were all teachers at Christian Life College. Back in that day, it was called Western Apostolic Bible College. And so, I flew to Phoenix where Linda lived. I sat down with her that night and told her, I mean, I promise you, I told her everything about our lifestyle, what Jesus wanted, how he wanted us to live. I had spent days fasting and praying. I didn't know what didn't come out of some book, out of some manual. It was me and Jesus. And so we're going to dedicate our lives to him. And he told me we're going to, we're going to win. 
million souls. We're going to rescue people. She said, okay. And uh, 16 days later, we got married. Three days after that, we got everything. We got a little wound. We had very few things. We drove to Stockton. And uh, I registered for Bible school. And we started the journey of ministry. When I say that, I mean, that's, this is like a whole new journey because it wasn't just Bible school. Brother Kenneth Haney had just come back to take the pastorate. His father had been suddenly killed in an accident. Brother Kenneth Haney became the pastor. Well, Linda and I, we were so new to Pentecost. We just thought it was heaven. We, we were so excited that we were going to have the opportunity to, to work, to serve for Jesus. And we didn't have any money. We didn't have careers, jobs. We just knew Jesus was going to take care of us. So we went to school, but we got more, probably more involved in particularly the ministry of Kenneth Haney. Uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and there was uh, always something to do with reaching the lost. And we became involved in every aspect of outreach and evangelism that that, they, that, that church offered. I remember the night, it was a Wednesday night, when Haney invited some couples, some young couples, and we were both so young. We didn't we didn't own a lot of clothes. We had to go to the Goodwill, you know, and buy some things so we could dress appropriately. But we didn't care. We were we were thrilled. We were just happy with our life in Jesus. We met a few friends, and we would have all-night prayer meetings. Uh, John Wolfram had just come back from Vietnam at the same time, and he and I connected at the school. There were a few of us that were veterans, and we would meet and pray. We would pray, just pray all night. And uh, Haney called my wife and I in and said, and a few others, and said he gave talked to us about three areas of ministry that he saw as a vision. One of them was he called satellite ministries, what today we would call it daughter works. And the other one, uh, another one was uh, uh, a bus ministry, which we quickly got involved in, and. and the third one was home group ministries, which he called sheepfold ministries. And he um, he looked at my wife and I said, uh, "Look, I'm going. I'm getting ready to get some buses. I'd like for you and your wife to be bus pastors. I promise you, we cried all the way home. Six months before, I was a drug addict, and today." I'm going to get the opportunity 
we are bus passengers. Incredible. And so we asked them what to do, and they told us, well, we're going to give you this territory, and you go and fill up this bus. So we did. We just went over there. It was a project. And I would go. I wouldn't advise it to anybody today, but I'd go on. we go on Saturday and give candy to kids and talk to them, talk to their parents. No alcoholics, drug addicts. They'd say, yeah, you could take the kids. So I'd go early on Sunday morning. Some of those, those parents would be passed down on the couches. And I remember, because that used to be me, but I'd just go and get the kids up, get the kids dressed, feed them some breakfast, right in the houses, and then take them out and have them line up. My wife would ride the bus with the bus driver. We'd fill that bus up in just a little bit of time. We filled that bus up, and they gave us another area, and we filled the bus up there. And we began to teach Sunday school, and those kids would see and receive the Holy Ghost. So when you talk about the beginning of our ministry, I, that's it was kind of a flow into it. It wasn't, yes, there was a specific time where those three preachers got directed me to them, and they, they gave me direction for my life. But as far as reaching the lost, it started on that first day. And, you know, it's been 40 years now. And actually, August the 2nd will be 41 years that uh, I've seen hundreds of people, you know, baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. So, I mean, that's kind of where it all began. And then out of that, we, we had. Everything in that vision Brother Haney had, he just put it into us. I would go early to pray, and Brother Haney would be walking and praying. And that's really probably has a lot to do with how I learned to pray, was just I would be there hearing my pastor pray. But, oh, okay, that's how you do this. And uh, I would just walk and pray. And then, uh, you know, that's. Out of that, we uh, we started it while we were there. We started our first donor work or satellite work. And the Haney came to us to ask us to go to a little community outside of Stockton. And that was our first work. We started out so excited because I just believed, and I, you know, and a pastor believed that we could do this. We could make a difference in our world. And so, you know, bus ministry. And then the outreach ministry or the satellite ministry um, and the home group ministry, we would meet with groups of people and have prayer meetings. We'd go to church and after church, we'd go to people's houses and have prayer meetings and Bible studies. And so from there, you know, we, and, and just, we were so young. I was only 23 when there was, 19, and when we, that was when we started our first work, and then we went to work with the pastor for a couple of years, and uh, then God spoke to me about going up to northern Arizona and Sedona, and we went up to uh, Sedona, Arizona, and we started to work. We were there four years, when we baptized, I don't know, it wasn't, it was, I was learning, it was probably more teaching for me. But um, we we probably won about fifty 
people there. And then God spoke to us. I, you know, in the midst of all of this, I just say every job I've ever had before I went to that secular employment, I would pray, okay, God, it's not about the money. You always provide for us. But are there people that need Jesus? They're hungry people. And I think probably every job I've ever worked on, I've, I've won souls. Because it's not about, it wasn't about the secular job. It was about being positioned to win somebody to Jesus. So then God spoke specifically about for us to come to the East Coast. I really kind of, not meaningly, meaning to, but I kind of fought it because I felt like felt like I wasn't successful where I'd been. I hadn't won enough people. But Jesus dealt with both my wife and I, and by this time now we had four children. And so we, we packed up our the van we had and we drove cross country to Maryland. And when we arrived in Maryland, we didn't know anybody. We just, we rented a house and, you know, there's a lot of things like that I'm really, I mean, I, I promise you there were times God gave us places to live. Literally, we had people give us houses, cars, you know, I mean, uh, provide so many miracles for us to do the will of God. And when we came to Maryland, um, I was so thrilled they gave us Christmas for Christ uh, for two years, $1,000 a month, and we rented a place. And I just started knocking doors. And uh, within six months, we had uh, a group of about 50 people. And uh, then there was this empty building, and I walked into the guy the office where the guy that owned that building, and I just, you know, I just told him, you know, I, I need to use your building. And he threw me the keys and said, go ahead, see what you can do. Well, eventually we, he sold us that building. And today it's been the church in Lexington Park for about 25 years now. And we started Daughter Works out of that church. And then seven years ago, God dealt with my wife and I about going when I say that, I, I went to D.C. because I was the whole missions director and tried to get people to come. And I don't know, I guess, you know, people just couldn't, I don't know, they just couldn't see that it could be done. So I turned, uh, my, my children were all now grown, and my oldest son, he pastors the church in Lexington Park that we started. And doing an incredible job. And my youngest son, he and his wife, they moved to the Republic of Georgia as missionaries. And then my uh, daughters, both of their daughters and my son-in-laws, they work with us in D.C. And uh, in the last uh, seven years, we have baptized right at 500. Uh, Church is growing. We finally moved into our own facility. And um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of details in, in all of those stories. It all started with 12 men 
you know, receiving the Holy Ghost on the first night of my experience. Well, what a story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Brother Staten, and, and you can feel your passion and your desire to reach people and, and thank God for that. I wonder if you could just, in closing, just take a minute and just pray for that young person right now. This this podcast, these interviews are all geared towards 18 to 30-year-old young people that maybe awesome. feel a call to ministry, feel a desire to do something for God. And, and I wonder if you could just take a minute as we close and just say a prayer over them right now. Oh, Jesus. Lord, surely the harvest is great. It's ready, waiting on us. And today, somewhere, a young man, a young lady, is feeling compelled in their heart, feeling drawn by your Spirit, to be involved in the harvest. I pray today, Jesus, that you would dispatch angels to minister to them, to encourage them, I pray that the power of the Holy Ghost would rest upon them to encourage them to believe that it is you calling, that their life has been developed and prepared for the purpose of the hour that we live in, that our college campuses are filled with hungry people, that our metro cities are filled with hungry people, that, Lord, our high schools our broken families, the multitude of cultures that you have brought to our nation. They're so hungry for you. Lord, would you speak into the heart of that young man, or the, uh, that young lady right now, to confirm within them that this is indeed the call of God, that you have not only prepared them, but you've gone before them, that you're making the way that you're going to lead them, you're going to use them, you're going to guide them, you're going to speak into their lives, that your power is going to flow through them, that these signs are going to follow them because they believe. They're going to rescue people. They're going to see people healed. They're going to see the signs and wonders, miracles. I pray that they, Jesus, you would give visions and dreams Speak, let your word speak, let your voice be heard in the hearts of this group of young people. I pray it in the name of Jesus. I bind every distracting spirit. I take authority over the spirits that would make them feel incapable. I pray even now that the presence of God would rise within them. They would feel able, capable. They would feel strong in the power of the Spirit, sent by the voice of God, commissioned for such a time as this. I pray it in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Staten. It's been an honor to have you today. And and is, is there any way that there could be a young person that would want to connect with what you're doing in D.C.? Oh, by all means. My cell number, I I don't mind giving that out. It's 301-481-7000. 
My email is pastorstaten at gmail.com. And certainly, uh, you know, any other way they want to contact me is, uh, I'll be more happy to talk with them, pray with them. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brother Staten, for believing in, in young people. And uh, we just pray God's blessings on your ministry. And, and thank you again for joining us today. Well, thank you. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource and others by going to ministrymentorship.com where you'll find more interviews, inspirational quotes, and other resources to help you develop your ministry. You can also leave us a comment, subscribe to our newsletter, make a donation, or connect on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.